and like in that moment I just knew she was the one and I kind of like prayed with her. Not quite, but I was hopeful. And then like after church I was um, too scared to go say hello to her. So, so that's when I made the first move and said hello. Okay, that's okay. So that was the first one. <laughs> so I went to like one of her friends and chatted to a friend so that I could have this with her. Which was not a good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how we met. Any, any other details? Uh, no. Cool. Oh, and she stayed. There was like, you know, when there's like a second worship after church. She stayed for that, so I was like, she's legit. <laughs> cool. And then how did it go from there to dating? So we need to put a disclaimer in there. Nathan's four years younger than me. Yeah. So at that point, what, you were 19. And I was 23. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a big gap. Am I? Am I? So he, um, I, ha- I can't remember how he got my number. I think through a mutual friend. But um, he like kept messaging me, and I was like, "What's that going on? Like, why would, why would, why is this boy messaging me?" <laughs> <laughs> Because like, uh, uh, yeah, we were in different congregations then. I was standing by she was Somerset West. But um, we used to go, I'll, I'll be honest, we used to go husband hunting in the evenings. <laughs> <laughs> to the younger church then. Um, terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, and so he was at that evening service. So then, yeah, and then it was, it was like quite a while we would hang out afterwards. Um, so then, yeah, and we had quite a few mutual friends, and yeah, just, he was just persistent and always messaging me, and then, yeah, we kind of, um, would meet up every now and then, mm. and then, um, yeah, I think, and then I was like, hey, am I interested, am I not, and then, um, one New Year's, yeah, it was like the New Year, I was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to tell him my, my New Year's resolution is to learn to serve. So he grabbed the opportunity yeah. and I was like, oh, I'll teach you to serve, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I would drive through the strand, like, almost every, every week. Yeah, like once mm-hmm. a week, whatever. And then I'd hang out on the beach. Nice. What was the question to dating? Yeah, how did you get to dating? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Long journey. Um, <laughs> How did we get there? Good question. Uh, yeah, so I think we like just hung out more and more, kind of. And um, yeah, I think for me, uh, I'll kind of touch on it a little bit later. But like, I had kind of like a previous relationship where like my it went really badly. And for me, one of the main things that I I needed to do in this relationship was to hear from God that it's the right thing I should be doing or that this is something that he wants me to do. Um, so that was quite vital for me and trying to speak to like different people um, kind of where we at. And one of the benefits that we had was Stephen Kaz from Somerset West. They were leading Stenabosh at that time and I was quite like tight with Steph 
and he knew Mandy actually. Um, so it was quite cool because we could kind of walk a road with them and he would kind of guide me through it and help me understand maybe where he sees that she's at or where Kaz kind of understands where she's at. Um, so that was really helpful. But yeah, I think it was just kind of progressing that relationship and then um, for me, I was kind of just waiting on certainty from God that this is the right thing because I, um, at that time, really didn't trust my own instincts. So I was like, if, if it's left up to me, I'm going to mess this up. And I don't want to do that again. I want to do it well. So, um, yeah. So then, yeah, I really felt from God that it was the right thing. And then just talked it through with quite a few people. Um, and then, yeah, what is that again? Yeah. Um, it's all you want to hear about from people who are going to talk to us about dating and singleness (laughs) I think we started dating at some point okay and then how long did you guys date for and then then, um, tell us about how how you proposed okay um so we, uh, so our dating started and I like was, I'll also get into more of this mm-hmm. but later, but like I had like this idea that like dating had to be like, Christian dating even had to be like romantic and like intimate and like that was kind of the thing. Um, so I, I did like a grand gesture like to ask her out to date me. Um, he ran from Somerset West just in a <laughs> 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 It was at night, so like, oh, actually I was at church, and then I left church, and then like got a car guard vest and a stick, in case something happened. <laughs> and then I ran there, and then when I got there, I expected it to be like, wow, it's so romantic. Like, of course I'll date you, but you didn't really say <laughs> But I thought she was going to say Steph on my way and he was like, yo, it's a long run home if you see <laughs> <laughs> So that's why I say we kind of started dating then because it was... I did say bit. yes, but oh, well, mm-hmm. in a message, you like, actually. once he had fallen asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Cried myself to sleep that night. We dated for two years and then... Um, we were, then we got engaged in um, December 2015, yeah. no, no 2014, and then we were engaged for a full year and got married, um, yeah, <laughs> um, 2016 January, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, proposed. Yeah, how did you propose? Oh, um, so we uh, went to Natal, to my family. Don't scare the Yeah, he put a lot of effort into it, like chatting to my parents um, and trying to make it like, yeah, really special. So we um, had a farm where uh, we kind of um, were removed from, but my dad still had access to it. And so he had planned um, with my dad, and that's where I'd um, grown up. Um, he had planned with my dad and my mom, like kind of my favorite spots on the farm. And then um, my dad was like, oh, let's go for um, a drive on the old farm. 
So it's like, I mean, I kind of knew it was happening, but then like the whole time like, my dad was driving around, I'm like, why is like, I don't understand where he's going or like what he's, what he's doing. And because um, like where he dropped off didn't really make sense to me. And then I'm like, oh, maybe he wants to go down the river. So like, I kept like trying to get down to this river. I'm like, yeah, no, come see this river. This river's nice. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 let's go here. And then um, he took me to this one tree that, yeah, that was quite special, but like I hadn't like put the pieces together. And um, he had like, written a really um, beautiful poem like, oh, in terms of like, proposing to me. And then um, someone we proposed, and I said yes straight away. Then my dad picked us up again, and then uh, we went um, back to the house where my mom, he had organized with my mom to pack a picnic with all of um, my favorite things. And then we went down to our dam, we again had organized with my mom to like make this really big petal pathway and like do the boats up um, so we could have like a picnic on the boat, but it was, it was a bit too hot. On the tree. And then, yeah, and it was actually quite special because it was the same tree that my brother had proposed to his wife. And, uh, and like they had written their names on the trees, and then we wrote our names on the yeah. yeah, so it was really special. Yeah, and he designed my ring, and yeah, so it was really cool. Nice. Cool. Um, okay, so then you guys got married at the start of 2016. Could you give us a whistle-stop tour of what's happened since then? Mm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we um, were married three years before Elizabeth. Yeah. So Nathan dates and Nathan dates. He studied through our, our first years of marriage. So um, two, we, two, yeah, two years. Our first year of marriage, we both worked, and then he went back to studying um, second and third year. So it was quite. Um, yeah, I'm a master. And that was in Cape Town as well. So it was yeah, it was, it was quite hectic. Um, and then um, we fell pregnant with Elizabeth at the end of uh, the year of his master's. Um, and then so we had a little two-year-old Elizabeth Grace. She's the best. And um, yeah, uh, we both were working time and then uh, this last year um, I resigned uh, to be home with Elizabeth and now we're pregnant with number two. Cool, exciting stuff. So last question is um, what are you guys going to be talking about to us this evening? Mm -hmm. cool. Now I'm going to try um, on singleness um, and just kind of run us through uh, some aspects around that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to talk on dating. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, and then, so that's going to be the first half of the evening, and then we're going to break after that, and then we're going to come back, and then there's some questions submitted um, that they're going to answer. So some questions are submitted for the panel that they're going to answer, as well as some questions from the floor, and then that'll be the, the layout for the evening. So yeah. Cool. Um, Cool. Um, yeah, so we, we wanted to also just kind of put a disclaimer in that um, we are most definitely not um, 
<laughs> that on dating, yeah, but experts on these um, topics. Um, and uh, we did quite a bit of research into it to be able to um, speak tonight. So, yeah, I just wanted to like put that out there that um, we didn't do dating well. Um, and Nathan will speak a little bit about that. Um, but by God's grace, we are here. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and a lot of our content comes from a really great book that we wanted to suggest to you guys. Um, it's called Not Yet Married by Marshall Segal. Uh, we can send it to um, the team and yeah, just put it out there. But really great content, really practical. Um, I enjoyed reading it. Um, and you don't enjoy reading it. And I don't enjoy <laughs> <laughs> at those types of books. But yeah, it was really helpful even now. Um, and just like in terms of, of, of when people also like kind of ask us questions, it gave me a lot of insight. And just reflecting back on our dating, um, it was really, it would have been really helpful <laughs> to have yeah. it then. So we hope that, that we can bring some of that content um, into that. Cool. So I'm speaking on singleness. And um, I just wanted to start off by emphasizing that um, singleness in itself has its complexities um, of its own that I don't want to downplay it at all. I think it can be um, just overlooked quite often um, and that I want to be sensitive into, in that um, because sometimes it can be a much longer journey for others um, and, and I've, I've seen, um, even with our own congregation, single people getting forgotten or just overlooked um, because we're putting marriage on a pedestal. Um, yeah, so just the things I say tonight, um, won't you just keep that in mind, like um, that I, I do um, empathise with that, that, it's, that, that singleness can come with a struggle. And um, yeah, just to prevent any hurts now or in the future. Um, yeah, so we so overlook, often overlook singleness, putting marriage on a pedestal um, and making it the ultimate. But really, there's no A or B team here. Um, singleness ought not to be viewed as a problem, nor marriage as right. Um, if singleness were a problem, then the Apostle Paul and Jesus drew the short straw. <laughs> so <laughs> it really, singleness is not a problem. It's a, it's a gift um, that, that God's given um, us. Um, but singleness can bring um, a kind of suffering and a misery um, that many married people can quickly forget. And I wonder what the hardest days um, are for some of you um, that are still single. Maybe it's a breakup or several, or maybe that it's never even gotten that far because there hasn't been a boyfriend or girlfriend to break up with. Um, maybe you gave up and started experimenting sexually with um, a person or online and that, um, yeah, just looking for love and pleasure and control, but instead you found um, just shame, regret, and slavery. Um, maybe it's a deep longing that you want to be a mom and dad, um, but you're still single. Or maybe it's just a longing for friendship, companionship, someone to laugh with, someone to cry with. Um, or maybe it's that one too many married couple or people um, giving insensitive comments like, Enjoy dating Jesus, or <laughs> how great is it to wait? <laughs> um, or maybe it's nothing to do with this, um, or dating or marriage for you. Maybe um, it's your parents' relationship or a divorce um, that's really brought, brought, brought hurt. So like everyone else, every single, single person will experience pain, um, but pain can be magnified in, in your singleness, and I don't want that to be missed tonight. 
um, I think um, yeah, it's just really important to to recognise that um, and and not to just put it aside. Um, yeah, so we can so easily say um, what you should do in your singleness. Just embrace it, you know, forgetting and being insensitive um, on that the road that you are on. Um, and remember, Satan is after you in this. Um, he loves to deceive. He loves to discourage. And he hunts with a cold-hearted and ruthless hunger for the disappointed and hurting. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he's really clever in it, and he spends a lot of time among the disappointed and afflicted. He is waiting with lies, wanting wanting to consume the fragile, um, the vulnerable, and the lonely. Satan tries to isolate us from people around us, those who can encourage us, those who can challenge us, those who need us in their lives. Um, and God's intention is to use you right now as you are in your singleness. So don't let Satan take that away from you. Um, we are saved to go out into the world, married or single, for the glory of Jesus and to make him known. If you are single today, the portion assigned to you for today is singleness. Um, but that doesn't mean that it won't be or, or could be a deep and difficult struggle for many. In God's eyes, in fact, some of the best gifts he gives us are his struggles. And we can see this in 1 Peter 1, 6-9, or Romans 5, uh, 1 um, to 5. And struggles um, can so often be gifts that um, teach us to look nowhere else but to God for our needs. And singleness, like all trials, is a whisper to our hearts. God saying, am I still worthy of worship when I won't give you what you desperately want? And, um, yeah, that is, that's, he's definitely whispered that to me in my life. And it, like, like takes me back. Like, like, if I don't give this to you, am I still worthy of worship? And we've got to constantly ask ourselves that. Like, he is always worthy, um, no matter what. Yeah. But remember, you're not alone. Um, and often we can be so insensitive to this. So call us out on it. Um, you know, we're here to keep each other accountable. And my prayer is um, that what is spoken tonight um, will bring a new hope and a new light to singleness. Um, and that what God can do in your singleness, whether it be for a season in your life or whether it's um, what God um, is calling you for this time on earth now, um, may God, the one who's created you, the one who knows you, and the one who has a calling over you, really profoundly speak to you in this time tonight. So I want to touch on just three things um, that, I've, that I found helpful um, going through some of the content um, that hopefully, yeah, that I just pray that, that you guys will find helpful too. So the first one is that no one has to wait for joy. So no one in Christ ever has to wait for joy. You may have to wait for a husband or a wife for a job or physical healing or for relief, or for reconciliation with family or friends. Um, You may have to wait for all of these things and a thousand more, with no guarantee that you're going to get those in this lifetime now. But joy is not one of those that you have to wait for. Matthew 13, 44 says, "Um, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure 
The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the man or woman who has found joy in Jesus isn't desperately searching for more joy, but desperately doing anything and everything for more of him and more of that joy. They now see every desire and longing through the lens of having already discovered and secured their greatest treasure. And for me, that was so profound um, that we have this treasure, we have this joy, that we now get to see that lens through it. And so when God asks us that question, am I so worthy of worship when I don't give you desperately what you want, we have this lens of the joy of him in us to look through that in our situations. Psalms 90, 14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The key to enjoying a lifetime of happiness is to find happiness in God today, in the situations and circumstances he has placed us in today. God doesn't make us wait for joy because he doesn't make us wait for him. He has already come uh, for us. Um, so if we, are, we th- if we think we have to achieve a certain relationship status or a certain income level or a certain ministry profile before we can experience real satisfaction, we haven't tapped into what is already promised to us today. We haven't looked hard enough at the field under our feet. So our plea must be this, Lord, satisfy me in the morning with yourself so that I will rejoice all my days, even in the hardest, the loneliest and most painful ones, I will rejoice. So satisfy me in my singleness so that I will be satisfied every day you give me here on earth, whether married or not. And if you do marry, um, this is such a gift that you can give your spouse, that your joy is ultimately found in Christ, not your husband or your wife. Are we fooling ourselves to think that if we get married, then we will know joy and satisfaction That's not fair to put on our spouse, and it's not their responsibility to fill us with that joy that can only come from God. Yes, Yes, there is a certain joy that should come from a husband and wife that God has designed, but it is not the the true and only joy. So it is not the one true joy that comes from God um, that will fully satisfy us. So remember that you don't have to wait for joy. It's yours for the taking now. The second one is embrace the unique opportunities you have as a single person. So 1 Corinthians 7, you knew this one was coming, 32 to 34, (laughs) Paul says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with few distractions as possible. So in your singleness, you have a unique freedom that will allow you to serve um, in ways that aren't always possible when you're married. 
and with a family, and you may never know a freedom like this again. Um, so enjoy the freedom that your schedule allows. Go on mission trips, build deep relationships with friends. One of the things Nathan and I really found um, tough in marriage and still are, is finding friends that we both get along with. <laughs> Remember, you've got like two personalities coming together and you don't always find friends that, um, that you both get along with. So it's, that's been like really tough. Like you get on with uh, this, like the, or I get on with the wife, but he doesn't really get on with the husband. And I'm like, oh man, look at it, try again. <laughs> so, um, really take this opportunity to, to build um, meaningful friendships. So use your gift of singleness as a way to edify and bless the church. Be radical, but not reckless. The idea is not to spread yourself dangerously thin. Um, so make um, prayerful decisions. Um, do them in community with people that love you and are able to tell you no. A season of singleness is not the minor leagues. And please hear me in that. Like, it's really, it's not the minor leagues. It has the potential to be a unique period of undivided devotion to Christ and undistracted ministry to others. So embrace the unique opportunity you have now. And thirdly, practice selflessness while you're still single. Philippians 2, um, verses 3 to 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So be mindful of the needs around you, especially those in church, and consider contributing. It may be money or food or your time, which is so significant. And I'm just going to put this example out there. <laughs> A good friend of ours um, from um, Somerset West, um, when he was single, um, he committed to giving um, every Thursday night um, up for a couple um, in his church to babysit his kids so that they could go on date night together. And that was such a huge blessing to this couple. So every Thursday night they got off um, because he came in and babysat their kids. And, um, yeah, I'm sure that that couple has been, has been a huge, was a huge blessing uh, to them in that time. And I'm sure that, because he's now married, that that has served him so well um, in his marriage today. So practicing selflessness can serve you in two ways. It can make Jesus shine beautifully to those around you, whether you get married or not. And it will serve your future spouse immensely if you do get married, because it only gets harder in marriage. Um, yeah. Selflessness. So, so practice now. <laughs> yeah, so just to recap, um, let's be aware and conscious of the struggles um, people can be facing in their singleness. Um, be aware that Satan is prowling and that he wants to bring you down in your singleness. Singleness is not the minor leagues. God wants to use you as you are now. No one has to wait for joy. Embrace the unique opportunities you have as a single person and practice, practice selflessness. Cool, guys. Um, so I'm going to be speaking on dating this evening. 
Um, so before I start, I just want to help the guys in the room step up their, their game a little bit. Um, so I've got five pickup lines for you. But Christian pickup lines. So, Okay, first one, I was reading the book of Numbers the other day, but I couldn't find it. Okay, number two, number two. I put the stud in Bible study. Okay, number three. This is a good one. Hi, I'm Will. God's Will. Okay. Okay, number four. This was Mandy's favorite. How would you like to join my purpose-driven life? Okay. Okay, number five, number five. Is this the transfiguration because, girl, you're glowing? Okay. Cool. Okay, I'm done. I'm going to pray. And then we'll get into the real deal. Father, we thank you for this evening. Yeah, I just really want to pray that you would speak to us deeply through your word. Father God, I pray that you would help us. Um, yeah, give us wisdom and discernment in just navigating dating, Father, which is yeah, oftentimes such a difficult relationship to navigate well. So just pray that you'd speak to us tonight through your word in your name. Amen. Amen. Cool. No one wrote those down, eh? <laughs> they won't work. I promise. <laughs> cool. Um, so I'm going to answer, try and answer three questions um, this morning, I mean this evening. This morning. <laughs> Firstly, it's been a long day, guys. <laughs> Firstly, what is dating for? Secondly, is dating even in the Bible? And thirdly, what is the purpose or goal in dating? Cool. So firstly, what is dating for? So before we dive into um, some of what I think a biblical understanding of what dating could be, um, we need to dive into um, kind of first understand what a biblical understanding of marriage is. Because... The purpose and function of dating is for marriage, um, which I believe it is. So we need to firstly better understand what marriage is so that that can fuel and drive our desire to date and to date well. And I say the primary purpose of marriage, because obviously marriage is about many things. Um, it's about love, it's about family, um, a lot of different things, but I think there's a primary um, purpose and a foundation upon which all these other things kind of um, live their way out. So what is the primary person, uh, primary purpose of marriage? Um, in answer to this, I want to briefly describe both the meaning of marriage and the covenant purposes of marriage. So what does marriage mean or what is marriage really about? Um, marriage is really about displaying the covenant relationship between Christ and his church. And we get this from Ephesians 5, 25 to 33. Um, and he says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he explains this for us. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the covenant purposes then um, of marriage is to display the covenant love of God. And um, the covenant love of marriage should display the covenant love of God, which promises to never leave or forsake us, and which actually goes to the point of dying for us. That love is extended to the point of actually Jesus going to the cross for us. And this is what our marriages should display. Um, so this covenant love, displaying this incredible love of God, should be the mark and legacy of all Christian marriages. So marriage then is not a kind of reckless love. You know, you kind of watch these, and it's quite an attractive kind of thing, but we watch these movies and you see like people like growing, falling in love with one another and then it like kind of climaxes and they get married in Vegas and it's like this <laughs> cool thing and we all feel like, yo, is that what love looks like? Um, but that is not what marriage is. Marriage is the, clear, the clearest picture in all human relationships of the covenant love of God with his people. Cool. So John Piper says, most fundamentally... Marriage is the doing of God, Genesis 2.20. So those that are united together, that is a doing of God. God unites people together. So that's most fundamentally marriage is the doing of God. Most ultimately, marriage is the display of God, Ephesians 5. So now that we better understand marriage and the purpose of marriage, then we can better understand uh, the purpose then of dating because dating is for marriage. Um, and dating is to formulate clarity within a relationship, which will hopefully end in marriage. So which will hopefully end in a relationship, which then displays the covenant love of God. And obviously, um, dating doesn't always end in marriage, and that's not the point. But basically what I'm saying is we don't date for dating's sake. Like the, the dating isn't the point. The dating is to formulate clarity whether this is a person um, you should marry. You should marry. <laughs> cool. I'm getting thirsty. What did I say? I'll drink to that. <laughs> cool. Uh, so dating is for marriage. Second question, is dating even in the Bible? So one of the clearest um, texts on dating is 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. And before I read it, you're probably like, whoa, you found one. Yeah. Like, um, but let's read it. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, with the man of, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So you obvious, obviously would have, would have noticed that that text didn't mention anything about <laughs> dating. Um, and I didn't put the wrong text in there. That is what I was wanting to read. Um, but it does say something powerful about the Bible. Firstly, it says that through the Bible, we are made wise for salvation. So the Bible declares and unpacks our salvation. So we are saved. That passage says that we are saved by God 
with the words of God, which is the Bible. Then secondly, you'll see in verse 16 and 17 that Scripture is meant for every good work. Um, so that's every good, every good decision, every act of self-control, every demonstration of Christ-like love to people around us, um, anything we do to bring God glory. Scripture is meant for that. So then, in a way, dating is in the Bible. Not the word specifically. There's no Greek word for dating or Hebrew, Hebrew <laughs> word for dating. People didn't date in Jesus' time. Um, but the Bible has a lot to say about how we should relate to one another and specifically how men and women should relate to one another. So then the Bible does have a lot, of, a lot to say about dating. We just have to dig a little harder than what we would normally like to. Um, we often want to have a kind of quick fix or like an A to Z on like what I should do and everything you should do in a dating relationship. But I think God is calling us to dig a little deeper, to dive a little deeper into his word and find principles which will help us kind of navigate dating relationships. So to illustrate this, um, I want to take us to an old story and um, kind of have a look at it and see if there's anything that it can speak to us in our, or speak to our 21st century dating relationships. And obviously some passages in the Bible are harder to kind of make these connections than others. But I want to use this example to show that through prayer and through like God's Spirit speaking to us, um, God's Word is profitable to teach, not only in dating, but every circumstance that we face in our life. So, we're going to go quickly to Genesis 24 and read the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Um, so, if you're familiar with this kind of chapter, uh, marriage isn't the focus of this chapter. And Isaac and Rebekah, this isn't the first marriage that ever happened in the Bible, but it is the second marriage or process of being married or like kind of the journey to marriage recorded in the Bible since Adam and Eve. Um, so I'll give us a basic summary of the story. So Abraham, Isaac's father, kind of sends his servant out to his hometown to find a wife uh, for his son. So the servant gets there. Rebecca gives his camel some water. He gives her some heavy jewelry. She shows it to her parents. Her parents like the bling. They like <laughs> approve of this guy. And um, she basically goes back with him, meets Isaac for the first time. At a tent, they get married, and it's all sorted. Um, so obviously you're sitting there and you're like, what the heck am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to, like, how does that apply to dating? Like, are you, are you kind of advocating for arranged marriages? Um, but the Old, the Old Testament may not be very um, prescriptive um, about dating, but it is certainly profitable, that text in 2 Timothy. The NLT says useful that the Word of God is useful for everything that we face. Um, so it's not prescriptive. It's not telling us word for word what we should do. So it's not saying to the guys, like, go find a camel and some jewelry. <laughs> or for the girls, go start waiting at wells <laughs> until someone arrives with camels and jewelry. Um, but it's, if we slow down and pray, we may see we may see things that we can apply to dating relationships in kind of seemingly outdated parts of the Bible. So I want to describe five things that we can 
apply in this text. The first one is put the pressure on God and not yourself. So when Abraham commissioned his servant to find a wife for Isaac, um, the servant was a little bit worried that like, the woman he was going to find wasn't going to go for the whole arranged marriage in some foreign land um, vibe. And Abraham responds like this, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will, you will take a wife for my son from there. Genesis 24, 7. Um, and this is difficult for us, you know, not to take it in our own hands. Because almost in the way that you, kind of the longer you're single, the more you even either start thinking like there's something wrong with you, or you have to try something new. Um, and there could, be, there could be times where God could be saying that to you, but there also could be a time where God is saying, you know, wait, wait in me and I'll do the work. So in essence, there's only one worker in the wedding industry. Um, while the servant ran ahead to find this woman in Mesopotamia, um, God actually went ahead of him and did the real work of bringing Isaac and Rebecca together. So if you're mainly putting the pressure on yourself to get married, you're putting the pressure in the wrong place. Lean on God while you wait to date. <laughs> Number two, pursue him or her with an open hand. Um, so before Abraham lets the servant go, he kind of gives, gives him a few clear instructions. And here in Genesis 24, verse 8, he says, If the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from, it, from this oath of mine. Only you must um, not take my son back there. So if you remember a little bit of Abraham's own story, God had promised him that he would have descendants that could not be numbered. Um, and remember that having Isaac was already kind of a miracle. Um, and now he's saying he's still trusting in the promise of God that those descendants are going to come. But the only way that they come is by Isaac having a wife, surely. Um, and even in that circumstance, he's still open-handed that this is something God has for me, but he's ultimately in control, and I'm not going to kind of take a hold of it and run with it. Um, so he holds out open hands, uh, and in James 4 verse 15 that's also a strong call there of like, if the Lord wills, um, Abraham believes that his son will have a wife and that his servant will find, a, find her. So until you say your vows at the altar, you know, until, until God confirms that this is uh, kind of in his will, God may write a different story for you than when, what we thought we would have written for ourselves. Um, but even in that, we can trust in the wisdom and power and love of God and have reason to pray, praise Him if those circumstances are different to what we had planned. Number three, pray, pray, pray. So before, um, before the servant saw a single woman, and whenever I keep reading this, I keep thinking, single woman? Like, single, not married. Before he saw a woman, um, <clears throat> he stops and prays. Genesis 24, verse 12. O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. 
So I guess the question for those of you who are pursuing uh, either a dating relationship or longing for a dating or marriage relationship is when did you, when do you start praying or when did you start praying or when did you stop praying that this is that something God would do and something God would perform. So if we desire a husband or a wife, we should love to cast our anxieties on God and trust in him to be the one who will provide those things for us. Um, and as I mentioned before, uh, I got a lot wrong, or yeah, I got a lot wrong in dating. And, um, but this was one of the things that I really felt so strongly in going into the relationship with Mandy is like, I have to hear from God. I can't, I can't trust my own desires. Like they're just going to steer me wrong. I have to hear that this is something um, from God. Number four, date for more than marriage. So at the beginning, I, I explained how marriage and, and kind of the purposes of marriage should be the goal of dating. Um, and that's absolutely true. But in another sense, um, the ultimate thing in dating is more than just ending in marriage. It's actually the glory of God, um, like anything else in our lives. So, and when we're single and we want to be married, you know, that kind of desire to be married can almost be like the end of our lives. And we kind of idolize it so much that it's kind of running and um, governing everything that we do. Um, and we begin to rest our hope in that person rather than resting our hope um, in God. And I just want to show us quickly, how did Abraham's servant react when God brought um, him the right woman? And he basically reacted is that he bowed his head and he worshipped. Um, in Genesis 24, it says this, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. So the servant, in a way, saw through Rebekah to God and worshipped God for his uh, provision of a wife for Isaac. So worship then is the end in Christian dating, like it is the end in Christian marriage. And God did not make us primarily for marriage. He made us primarily for worship and making much of himself. Um, and marriage then again is also about worship. So if in our dating, if that dating ends in, ends in marriage sorry, and not worship, then that marriage will be empty and satisfying. So we need to date for more than marriage. Number five, look to loved ones for confirmation. So let the people around you confirm that the person that you're interested in um, is the right person. And you see this with Abraham's servant. He explains to Rebecca's father and brother all that's happened and why she would be the right one to uh, marry Isaac. And um, they basically respond like this in Genesis 24. The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Um, so this is really helpful because if, the, if God has brought two people together... Um, 
he would make it clear to those around you that these are the right people or the right person that you should be with. And if people who are close to you around you and people, those people love Jesus and they have reservations around your relationships, I, I would say that you should have serious um, reservations too. If they're enthusiastic and support that relationship, that should give you a greater peace and confidence that this is the right um, relationship. So again, don't rely on my thing. Don't rely on your own instincts. Um, that kind of infatuation in dating can blind you to what you would often see in other kind of relationships. So the call is to trust God enough to listen to other believers in your life. So the Bible does kind of speak about dating. And my kind of goal in this a second part of, of this talk was not to give us an A to Z of like, this is how dating works, um, kind of an overarching thing, but actually to try and point us to the place and to the source of true wisdom and, and kind of urge us to dig a little deeper, you know, to truly, truly find these things which are in the Bible, which we can apply to dating relationships and um, the rest of our lives. So dive into God's word and allow it to speak to you about dating. Then lastly, the primary purpose of dating. So I have a question, if any, anyone's brave enough to answer it. What would you say is the primary purpose of dating? Why do you think we date? You said charity. Sure. <laughs> Good listener. <laughs> So most of us think, um, most of us, I think, if we're kind of really honest and we boil it down, would say pursuing intimacy. You know, we want to be close to someone, so, and we want almost a deeper level of closeness. We want intim intimacy with someone, which kind of takes us from a friendship relationship to a dating relationship where we can have that kind of certain level of intimacy. And... If I'm honest, this was definitely my reason for wanting to date Mandy. Obviously, I eventually wanted to marry her. Um, that was always the goal. But when I really break it down, it was intimacy that I was after. And it was intimacy that was driving decisions in the relationship, which was incredibly unhelpful. Um, and even, the, even in just the way that I asked her to like, be my girlfriend was... Uh, a pursuit for intimacy or even just a display of that kind of pursuit of inter intimacy, um, which I hold on to so tightly then, um, kind of thinking that like intentional friends was boring and like you need to, <laughs> you need to spice it up. It needs to be like romantic and stuff. But um, when I really sit down and evaluate it, I realize how, unhelpful that was and actually how misplaced that was so I was taking something that should be expressed in the covenant of marriage and bringing it out and wanting to express it in a space which is it was never meant to be expressed in so basically we want intimacy we want to feel close to someone we want to be known deeply we want physical intimacy with someone else and obviously, with the right heart and in the right measure and in the right time, that is something that God wants for us too. And that's something that's right. And it's a good desire. But dating relationship should not be primarily a pursuit of intimacy. It should be about finding clarity um, 
if that person is someone that we should marry. So my urge then is to pursue clarity and postpone intimacy. So intimacy, yes, is a beautiful and precious gift. And it is something that God has given us, but our sin tends to make intimacy dangerous outside the context of a marriage. And we, we wire to want intimacy, but we wire to corrupt intimacy because of our sin. So that causes us to demand intimacy in the wrong ways or um, to demand the wrong things of intimacy. Um, intimacy makes us vulnerable and sin makes us dangerous. So the two together, without the promise, the covenant promises of marriage can be a formula for disaster in dating. Um, so the greatest prize in marriage is Christ-centered emotional and sexual intimacy. That's something beautiful and something that God wants. And the reason that um, that kind of intimacy is... is uh, is the prize in marriage and not the prize in the not yet married or the dating relationship is because that kind of intimacy is never safe outside the lifelong covenant of marriage. Um, one of the quotes by Andy Stanley, which has always stuck with me, is fire in a fireplace is a wonderful thing. Fire on the carpet has the potential to burn, your, burn down your house. Sex which is the ultimate expression of intimacy, is like a fire. In the right context, it is an awesome thing. But once it is outside that context, it was designed for sex can burn your life and relationships to the ground. So, and I think what's tricky about it is there are a lot of context in a dating relationship where intimacy feels safe and where intimacy feels right. But we have to be honest with ourselves and understand that there's far too much at risk in those relationships. Without the um, without promises before God, basically the covenant of marriage, the further we walk into intimacy, the further we expose ourselves, and the further we open ourselves up to the possibility of being abandoned, betrayed, or crushed. And obviously in a, in, in a Christ-centered marriage, those risks don't exist. In marriage, we're called to be together uh, in sickness and in health and, and until death um, do us part. And that's through all kinds of disappointment, tra tragedies, and everything that we face in our lives, that level of intimacy is safe because it's protected by the covenant promises that you have in marriage. So intimacy then is a safe and appropriate experience in marriage. So, so again, while the great prize in marriage is Christ-centered intimacy, the great prize in dating is Christ-centered clarity. Intimacy is safest in the context of marriage, and marriage is safest in the context of clarity. So if we want to have and enjoy Christ-centered intimacy, um, we obviously need to get married. And if we want to get married, we need to pursue clarity about the one to whom we should marry. And I think what's often difficult to kind of spot is that we often pursue 
um, clarity by diving into certain levels of intimacy that we think are clarifying, but we're actually pursuing intimacy. Um, whereas clarity, or the right kind of clarity, is, is a means to the right kind of intimacy. And a lot of the, I think, heartache and confusion in dating relationships is because we often treat a dating relationship very much like we treat a married relationship. It's kind of like we trying marriage on for size and seeing if this works. We're not really pursuing clarity about, is this person right for me to marry? We're actually kind of trying the relationship on um, for size. So, and that's kind of like clarity through intimacy, which is also not right. And um, kind of a way to maybe help us explain this is using uh, learning how to ride a bicycle kind of analogy versus learning how to ride an aeroplane. Um, I don't know if anyone's learned how to ride an aeroplane, but I'm going to, you'll probably like call out that I'm wrong in a lot of different things, but basically learning how to ride a bicycle, you ride the bicycle and you practice until you can actually ride it. And I think that's kind of the view that we often have of dating. It's like you try it out until one day you'll get it right and you kind of get married. Um, whereas learning how to fly an aeroplane, you have months and months where you're on the ground studying theories about how this plane works and all those kinds of things. You never actually experience flying in the air. You know, it's a very different experience from learning there to the actual experience. And I think that's helpful for me to keep, well, when I was going through this, to keep in mind. is like, are you learning how to ride a bicycle? You're trying marriage on for size to see if it's right. Or actually, are you pursuing clarity in what it means to fly an airplane and everything that it, that's kind of part of that thing um, before you actually have the experience, the marriage experience of flying the airplane. Um, so practically, I'm going to close with just some questions which are helpful for me. Um, what does pursuing clarity and postponing intimacy really look like? And I think these questions will help us. Intimacy questions, and these are probably the most popular questions at these kinds of series, is, is how far can we go? How late should we hang out? What kind of touching is allowed? How much alone time should we have? You can see intimacy is the goal and all those questions. Clarity questions are, does he love Jesus more than he loves me? Does she follow through on her promises? Do I see him showing self-control or compromising to get what he wants? Is she willing to lovingly tell me when I'm wrong? And I think the thing is that the first set of questions, they will be asked at some stage, but if our pursuit is clarity over intimacy, they will kind of fall much further down the list. So, again, we all long for intimacy, and it's not a bad thing. Um, but in order to have kind of the true lifelong intimacy that God calls us to have, we need to pursue clarity in dating. And I've just really found this framework simple but really helpful in evaluating our dating and evaluating how our dating is doing and safeguarding the dating relationship. Because it protects us from going too deep into intimacy and, and risking ourselves in that way. And I don't want to underestimate how hard it is. I, we dated for three, engaged for one year, but dating was rough. <laughs> like, 
I get nightmares. <laughs> when I think back about dating, like it's really, really rough. So I don't want to underestimate how difficult it is, but I think that these things can give us some helpful um, handles on how to do it well and how to guard, how to how to safeguard how to safeguard our hearts and safeguard the hearts of our boyfriend or girlfriend um, as we postpone intimacy and pursue clarity. So so. Basically, as we understand the goal and purpose of dating, we can better discern God-honoring choices in the everyday life of dating. Cool. Summing up, dating is for marriage. Dating is in the Bible. We just have to dig and pursue clarity and postpone intimacy.